Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. The list of White House staffers infected with COVID-19 grows longer. Meantime, confusing and conflicting information coming from the White House and the president's medical team, as well as the president's own behavior, are raising questions about Trump's ability to govern while ill. We dig into the medical and political implications of Trump's diagnosis. Then, will Californians decide to overturn a law that prohibits the consideration of race and sex in public education, hiring, and contracting? Recent polls show the measure struggling to resonate with voters. We look at Proposition 16. That's all next on Forum. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. As the number of White House staff members and GOP officials infected with the coronavirus grows, President Trump has tried to show strength in videos released during his stay at Walter Reed. But his medical treatment, including a steroid typically reserved for more severe cases of COVID-19, is raising questions about his health status and ability to govern. Also, Trump's SUV ride to wave to supporters gathered outside the hospital is drawing criticism for risking the health of his security detail and potentially hospital staff. We look at the implications of all of this with Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel, former Obama White House Health Policy Advisor and Vice Provost of Global Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. Thanks so much for joining us, Dr. Ezekiel Emanuel. Thank you for having me. A pleasure. Also with us, Jessica Levinson, a professor at Loyola Law School. Thanks so much for joining us as well, Jessica Levinson. Thanks for having me back. So, Dr. Emanuel, I'll start with you. And I guess I'll just start with this SUV ride to supporters outside the hospital. I mean, you've called this decision shameful. Can you tell me why it concerned you so much? Well, first of all, there was no need for it, no urgent need. Second of all, the president has got COVID and he should be recuperating. He is the leader of the free world, uh, and uh, he's sick, right? How do we know he's sick? Well, he's gotten the Regeneron antibody cocktail. He's on remdesivir. He's on dexamethasone. He should not be going out. And the last thing is, uh, and maybe the most uh, irresponsible thing he did is, he is putting other people at risk, the people who walked him down in the hospital, the Secret Service in the car, um, just not a responsible thing to do. And it sort of echoes to me the irresponsible behavior he demonstrated when he went to see uh, all his potential donors in New Jersey, knowing full well he had symptoms that were consistent with uh, COVID, and he probably knew he was COVID infected on Thursday. What do you make of the fact then, since this is what his White House spokesman said, that this ride was cleared by the medical team as safe to do. Uh, 
Well, we have questions about that medical team and their judgment. Uh, they have not been forthcoming with the American public. That's putting it mildly. They've lied and evaded questions uh, that are necessary for the public to make a decision about the president. Um, and uh, many of us have some question about the wisdom of the therapeutic interventions that they're doing, layering on dexamethasone onto the other uh, medications that he's taking. So, you know, I'm not, uh, I don't have uh, overwhelming confidence in their judgment. And even if the patient wanted to do it, you're the doctor, you're the expert in healthcare, you're also the, supposed to be the expert in the spread of the disease and putting other people at risk. And none of it seems wise. Yes, I definitely want to talk more about the medications he's on. But first, Jessica Levinson, I mean, Dr. Emanuel is talking about the, uh, you know, the the reason that the public does need to know what his condition is. Can you talk more about that in terms of what the public does have a right to know and why it's so important? Because you've mentioned national security concerns. Well, absolutely. And what a pleasure to be on with Dr. Emanuel. And I will say that, you know, if President Trump was Mr. Trump, then his medical history is really, in his medical prognosis, it's really his own business. But he is somebody who's put himself in a position of enormous public trust. If the president has the sniffles, it's potentially a global issue. And add to that the idea that the president has a potentially deadly disease in the middle of a pandemic dealing with that disease, going right into an election. We're not before an election, we are in the election. Two million people have cast early votes. We're voting early in California as of now. We're dealing with other serious national issues like wildfires. And the idea that we would not have a full and fair accounting of the president's health, it's not just that it lacks transparency for the American public, it means that Again, it's part of a consistent narrative that we don't know what to trust. We can't evaluate what's happening. And again, this is not a private citizen. This is somebody who has enormous power over our lives, enormous power on a not just a national, but an international stage. And it's deeply irresponsible that we would be kept in the dark about uh, what is going on. The fact that he would have doctors out there evading questions that they would say later, oh, we just wanted to keep an upbeat tone instead of a truthful tone is something that the American public, frankly, should not have to stand for. Zeke Emanuel, you mentioned the medical drugs, basically, that he's on. I mean, dexamethasone, remdesivir. He also had this experimental antibody cocktail. I mean, what does that tell you about the president's condition? And also just in terms of what kinds of side effects do these drugs potentially have that could be affecting the president? Well, you know, I, it's hard to say. And, the, and every time I get this question, it's like I'm flabbergasted. I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm here as a doctor. They haven't given us enough information to really have a good picture of the president. Uh, we're trying to interpret between the lines, you know, when did he exactly get oxygen? How low was his desaturation? What was on the uh, 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 chest x-ray or CT scan that they took that made them add dexamethasone? You know, what are his blood counts? What other medications is he getting uh, besides the three 
uh, drugs, like is he getting a medication to reduce his fever? And so when they tell us that he has a low, he doesn't have a fever anymore, that, well, is that because of the drugs or that's because he's actually fever free? Yeah. Um, so it's very hard to get a full picture. This is what we can say. Um, late in the, uh, uh, over the weekend, they did decide to give him dexamethasone. Uh, uh, it appears based upon the lung uh, probably CT scan that they took, suggestive of a pneumonia because uh, Dr. Connolly said, well, it's what you'd expect with a COVID patient. Well, what we expect with a COVID patient is a pretty bad looking lung uh, uh, pneumonia, partially from the virus, but mostly from the immune reaction to the virus. Um, and that's what it, it appears. But, you know, it's very hard to tell. And uh, I can't, you know, say anything definitively about how well the, how sick the president is or how sick the president isn't. And that's a real problem. There's been suggestion that this combination of, of drugs could confuse the president, maybe make him unable to carry out his duties. Does it have the potential for strong side effects that could impair judgment? Uh, yes. The, the short answer is yes. Dexamethasone uh, in particular is a steroid and we know that steroids can have uh, uh, cause mental confusion, mania uh, in uh, patients. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact percentage. No, that's and it, okay. And it and it depends. I'm sure it depends upon other concomitant uh, uh, medical situations. And in the case of COVID, it's very hard to draw a lot of conclusions. Um, but I think it's also important to say that you use dexamethasone. Uh, the British did an extremely large study on dexamethasone proving that it was effective for patients who were on a ventilator. So they were intubated and on a ventilator, it reduced mortality by a third. And then patients who were on uh, consistent external oxygen, they had a face mask or nasal prongs that were giving them oxygen and were pretty sick. Uh, those patients had their mortality rate reduced uh, by 20%. Now, in patients who were mild and not on oxygen, and that's supposedly what the president was, uh, there was no evidence of benefit in the British study. And there may have been some suggestion that it actually made things worse because it might have counteracted the body's immune, natural immune response. Um, so, uh, it, you know, there's a lot of question whether dexameth adding dexamethasone, if the president truly wasn't on oxygen based upon the check ray, was the wisest uh, move given uh, what we know of its effectiveness in various patient populations. Let me ask actually a listener question directly related to this. This listener tweets, does taking dexamethasone make the required quarantine longer? Uh, uh, not necessarily. Um, so it, it, it alone probably doesn't make the uh, required quarantine longer. And again, if you want to join the conversation, you can do so by calling 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also reach us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email us at forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Dr. Zeke Emanuel, author of Which Country Has the World's Best Healthcare? He's also former Obama White House Health Policy Advisor and Vice Provost of Global Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. Also with us is professor at Loyola Law School, Jessica Levinson. And uh, so in terms of when a president is 
potentially incapacitated either by illness or, you know, by some strong drugs that he's potentially taking. I mean, how severe does this incapacity basically have to be, Jessica Levinson, to invoke the 25th Amendment? It's a question that has come up quite a bit among our listeners. Yeah. And here's the terrifying answer, which is the Constitution is this brilliant and really scary document that gives us some guidance, but not a lot of clarity in some cases when we really might expect it. So there are basically two provisions of the 25th Amendment that we care about today. The first is the cleanest, and it's the one that we've used before. It's where a president says of his own volition, you know what, I'm going to be fill in the blank under general anesthesia because I'm going to have a basic screening procedure. So I'm handing over power to the vice president according to the line of succession. And here's another letter that's waiting for when I feel better or when I get out of anesthesia. But that takes the president on his own to say, I'm giving up power for a period of time. I do not see this particular president ever taking that route. So, of course, the section of the 25th Amendment that we're more worried about is Section 4, which we've never used in American history, and it's the one that's murkiest. And that basically says that the president can be removed involuntarily but guess what you have to do? You need the vice president and a majority of the cabinet to go to Congress and say, the president of the United States is unable to fulfill his official duties. At that point, the president of the United States can say, no, I'm okay. At which point both houses of Congress have to convene within 48 hours and then vote within 21 days. I hear the music. <laughs> Oh, no, that's okay. But yes, uh, there are a lot of steps that are involved. And we will definitely be talking more about the medical implications of the president's coronavirus diagnosis, as well as the political implications with Jessica Levinson of Loyola Law School and Zeke Emanuel of the University of Pennsylvania, former Obama White House Health Policy Advisor. And of course, with you, our listeners, after the break, I'm Mina Kim. Stay with us. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Dr. Zeke Emanuel, author of Which Country Has the World's Best Healthcare, former Obama White House Health Policy Advisor, Vice Provost of Global Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania, and Jessica Levinson, professor of Loyola Law, at Loyola Law School. What are your questions about the medical and political implications of the president's diagnosis of COVID-19? 866-733-6786 is the number to call. Our email address, forum at KQED. Org. You can also get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Let me go right to calls. Carrie in San Jose, join us. Hi, Carrie. Hi. Um, on Saturday morning at the press conference from Walter Reed, the first thing that his doctor said was that he was diagnosed 72 hours prior, which would have put his diagnosis at Wednesday morning. And he did a rally on Wednesday and a fundraiser on Thursday, which if, if that is accurate information, he would have done those knowing that he had been diagnosed and keeping it a secret. And I'm not hearing that much in the press about that timeline. And um, I'm curious as to if your guests have any knowledge of that or what they think about it. Yes, um, I know that the doctor did try to correct and say that he meant to say day three instead of exactly 72 hours by way of explanation. But I do 
take Carrie's point, Jessica Levinson, that we don't even know the date of the president's last negative test, the date of his first positive test. I mean, what do you make of that? But what I make of it is that, again, it's part, it's very actually consistent with respect to the Trump administration, where there's been a total lack of transparency on so many issues. But now, again, we're talking about something so important, something that has national security implications, and something that, frankly, you know, might even have criminal implications. So it's in a different situation. But if you, for instance, knowingly expose people to HIV or AIDS, that can actually be criminal behavior. Now, I would defer, of course, to Dr. Emanuel about whether or not these are similar situations. But even if it doesn't rise to the level of criminality, and I'm not saying it does, let's remember how deeply irresponsible that would be. And this is on top of, again, in my opinion, uh, a gross mishandling of the pandemic. So what does it mean for the American people? The American people should never have to beg and kick and scream for answers about the health of their president. There's a reason that we want to have medical records because we wanna be able to evaluate that as part of a president's fitness for office. And Dr. Oh. Emanuel, I mean, wouldn't understanding when his last negative test was determine how long he may have been contagious to others? Because doesn't there need to be a robust regime of contact tracing going on to help people know that they could potentially be exposed? I mean... Yeah, so let's make three points. First, as far as we can tell, there is no robust contact tracing being done by the White House, by the CDC. Um, uh, it does not appear to be uh, happening. And that's a terrible failure on their part. And it seems to me, again, demonstrating an irresponsible disregard for the interests and benefits of other people. Um, I would also say that, uh, uh, again, getting the exact dates of when he knew. What we do know is that he was sleepy on the way back on Wednesday from Minnesota on the plane. Uh, it appeared to his staff that he was fatigued. He did uh, sleep on the plane was apparently is unusual for him. Uh, that suggests a, a very relevant symptom, which is fatigue uh, going forward. I don't know if he had a cough. I don't know if he was short of breath. We don't know uh, if he had a fever. Um, but we do know that uh, uh, Hope Hicks uh, did test did have symptoms and did test positive. Uh, and you would think that uh, immediately thereafter, given the, her proximity to the president, they would have tested him. And so this question of, you know, did we only learn at 1 a.m. on Friday seems unlikely. Uh, it seems that, you know, if not Wednesday, then certainly Thursday, they should have been jumping to the conclusion, well, we've got to screen him. And then he went to this fundraiser in uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, which, again, demonstrates a total irresponsibility uh, going indoors with uh, uh, 100, more than 100 people. Uh, now, as the uh, lawyer says, since I, I'm not a lawyer in this, you know, uh, there are situations where if you expose someone to certain illnesses, it is criminal behavior because mm -hmm. uh, those are fatal illnesses. In this case, uh, you are exposing them to a highly contagious uh, uh, infection, which in some, case, in some percentage of the population will lead to hospitalization and will lead to death. Is that equivalent? Uh, I think, you know, we don't have case law on it, uh, but it does seem to be, uh, you know, the minimum we can say is it's unethical and irresponsible. And uh, it does seem to be uh, total disregard for the 
benefit of others. Does it rise to criminal behavior? I, you know, I'm the doctor, not the lawyer, but it does. It does seem to me that there's uh, uh, the level of irresponsibility is something we have to look into. And I mean, what what Jessica Levinson is suggesting that I guess if someone wanted to bring a case, that they might at least have something they could point to. The other question I have, though, Zeke Emanuel, is this question of whether he should return to the White House today. There was some talk that he wanted to do this. I mean. What would it take to keep him safe? I mean, we're hearing already just every day a new person today, Kaylee McEnany, uh, testing positive, as well as other deputies and, and members. Well, I don't know, uh, you know, whoever else in the White House tests positive, you know, that that, again, it gives you gives us evidence of the, uh, you know, how bad the Amy Coney Barrett super spreader event was that, you know, it affected lots of people. Um, and, uh, you know, but those people aren't going to be the people who are already positive, aren't going to be affected by the president, but the people who aren't positive caring for him would be affected. And, uh, you know, the appropriate behavior if he were in a hospital is everyone dons PPE when they're uh, near him. Uh, I think it's a bad idea for him to go home, uh, in this circumstance. Um, and it, uh, there are certain things that make me worried. In uh, lots of COVID patients, uh, they look fine. They feel fine. Um, and then they happen to fall off a cliff. They go into their immune system goes into overdrive, it appears. And lots of uh, adverse uh, uh, health problems happen. They may need oxygen. They may need it to be intubated. Um, you know, we need to be a little, and the president's team needs to be a little clearer about how he's doing. I understand he wants to get back to the White House. He wants to get back to the White House for appearances that he's strong and healthy and he's not going to be beat by a virus. Uh, but that may not be the, uh, at all, uh, from a medical standpoint, a wise move. And the president, one thing we know for sure is he's not a doctor. And when he wades into the medical area, he actually uh, makes bad judgments. Well, that has been a question that some have raised, that that he is directing his own care, that he is the kind of person who would demand sort of more experimental treatments, potentially, even if he didn't necessarily need that. Do you think that there's something behind that? Uh, he has that type of personality, but uh, a good doctor would make quite clear to him uh, which decisions he could weigh in on, the ones where there's a judgment and things are close, and which decisions he cannot weigh in on, and those really are medical and not ones where patient values are relevant. Um, and I think going home from the hospital uh, and imposing uh, uh, all the burdens and potential risks to the people caring for him there is one of those decisions that's best left to the uh, medical staff. Let me go to Linda in Sacramento. Hi, Linda. Hi there. Uh, I just wanted to talk about the rosy picture that uh, tends to be painted uh, to make him appear stronger than perhaps the uh, the actuality is. And it has to do with what they're deciding today to send him home to the White House. I think most of the people think of going home from the hospital and being discharged as something, you know, really great. You're going home. But it's my understanding. And I wanted to ask the doctor if this is so that there is a fully staffed medical unit uh, there in the uh, hospital. And it, I mean, excuse me, in the, in the White House, it's kind of like going from hospital A to hospital B, because doesn't he have to have the finishing out of the course of uh, uh, prescriptions or, you know, the uh, treatment? 
that needs to be finished and be uh, delivered by medical personnel and so forth. So I just wanted to ask about that because it seems like they're trying to paint that he's really strong, very macho, going home, you know, that kind of thing. Mm, I see. Zeke Emanuel? Well, uh, the White House is different than your and my house in that it does have medical personnel on site. It has oxygen available. It has uh, testing equipment available. Uh, but we should not confuse it with the hospital. It is not Walter Reed. There's a reason he went to Walter Reed and didn't stay at the White House. Um, yeah. And uh, so we should not confuse the two and suggest, well, it's just going from one hospital to another hospital. That is false. Um, and in particular, uh, you know, even if they had a ventilator there, they do not have the full setup for an intensive care unit and the skilled uh, uh, nursing and physicians uh, there who could run um, the White House like an intensive care unit. So that would be, I mean, again, you know, one of the reasons to be in a hospital for the president is if uh, things go bad and he really requires extreme attention, uh, it's right there. Uh, and you don't have to, um, you know, Move helicopter him. helicopter him out to Walter Reed, which would be a bad mistake. Right. right. Thank you. I appreciate the distinction. Well, Henry writes, if Trump dies and Pence steps in, what happens to our presidential election? Jessica Levinson? Um Yes. And of course, let's remember hypothetical. Nobody hopes that that happened. So it depends on when. So right now, as I mentioned before, we're not before an election, we're in an election. So in California, um, most people have already gotten their ballots and right. may have already filled in their ballots. So from a election law standpoint, this is the worst possible time that you could have this question. But what happens is basically the RNC would nominate a new candidate. And what they would say to the American people is vote for the uh, Trump Pence slate and know that this is our new nominee. And so the potential wrinkle among, well, I should say about 17,000 wrinkles is that you need to make sure that when the electoral college votes, that they in fact vote according to basically the Republican Party slate, knowing that that will have changed. So of course, we all vote, the last day for us to vote is November 3rd, but then the Electoral College votes on December 14th. So the way it should happen is that if the president had passed away, then the Electoral College would meet on December 14th and vote for if president, if the Trump-Pence slate had won, would vote for the new nominee and presumably um, Vice President Pence. And then they would be uh, the ones to get over 270 electoral college votes. Trish writes, Trump has a pattern of doing whatever he wants, regardless of the wisdom of those actions. When it comes to this highly transmissible virus, can the doctors overrule his attempts to lie or use the situation for political means? Where is the authority in this situation? Zeke Emanuel? Well, uh, we should distinguish two things. Any patient uh, can sign out AMA <laughs> against medical advice. Um, and the doctors can tell them what, you know, you're in the emergency room, you're having a heart attack, uh, and we're going to treat you. And the patient says, I don't care. I don't want, I want out of here. Obviously, you would question their sanity. Um, but uh, it, it, assuming that they pass a sanity test, um, they 
can sign out AMA. That would be bad judgment, um, but uh, for you know reasons of personal liberty, we allow people to make bad judgments about their life. Um, in this case, you know the president is not any normal patient, um, and uh, he should not be making those decisions. He, those decisions are really being made on behalf of the country. Um, the problem here is is his physicians. Um, are not acting like physicians um, and uh, seem to be enabling uh, bad behavior. You know, when uh, Dr. Connolly said, well, we wanted to go along with the uh, upbeat picture. Uh, no, that's not your job. You're wearing a white coat. You're not the political spinmeister. Um, and there's a distinction. You shouldn't be using the white coat to uh, enable your spin, spin to get more credibility and credence. What we need is the truth. And what you need to be telling the patient is the truth. And I think that's been, uh, that, that's the uh, part that we've lost trust in, that mm. Dr. Connolly understands he's a doctor, not uh, a political spin person, and he should not be infected by that. You know, I contrast this with, with what I know would be Tony Fauci's approach here. You know, politics would have no relevance to his decision. It's about medicine and the integrity of the medical decision. Uh, Dr. Connolly does not seem to have that same moral uh, framework. Well, um, I'm wondering what you think, Zeke Emanuel, we just have a few minutes left about whether or not there should be a vice presidential debate, given what we know about Pence's potential exposure. And, uh, and yes, the safety of that, basically. Um. So uh, we're supposed to have a debate in a couple of days. Um, uh, I have, uh, I think uh, we probably can, you know, we've got to test uh, 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 Mr. Pre uh, Vice President Pence. Um, I also do think we need to take added precautions. Bigger distance between the candidates. Uh, we need a plexiglass uh, divider at the least, maybe even plexiglass booths. Uh, to prevent, uh, if God forbid he is positive, uh, prevent spread. I don't think the kind of setup that we had uh, with President Trump and uh, uh, former Vice President Biden was uh, appropriate. I have, uh, you know, during the debate, I turned to my partner and I said, why isn't there a plexiglass divide between them? You've got 12 feet between them. You could easily put plexiglass between. Um, and I think uh, that has to be uh, put in. And I think it would be irresponsible of uh, uh, the people organizing this, the Presidential Debate Commission, not to do that. Um, and, you know, as I said, maybe even have a plexiglass booth for each uh, candidate. Um, that seems to me to be the right way to go and would do the utmost to minimize uh, transmission if that happened. Jessica Levinson, how much do we have a right to know about officials testing positive? And I ask this because, you know, Kaylee McEnany the other day mentioned that the White House would not commit to releasing those kinds of numbers. I mean, initially there was some sense they would, but then it sounded like they were backtracking on that, citing privacy. But uh, do we have a right to know? Well, you know, there's a difference between a, a legal right and a, a strong desire based on how much power these particular people have over our lives. So I would say, again, think about, you know, a 
private company, in that case, who are you really worried about? You're worried about the people whose lives are dependent on, let's say, the CEO. You're thinking about the shareholders. You're thinking about the employees. Uh, in this case, we're all affected by the President of the United States, by members of his administration. So do we have a right to know? I would say this is really important because it's giving us all information about the health of those who are making decisions that affect our lives. It gives us more information about how contagious this disease is to see how it is spreading. Um, and so, yes, I think that the American public, just like, for instance, you have, think about campaign ads where you have a disclaimer or a disclosure that says, and I stand by this ad, I pay for this ad. We want to know something about the people who are speaking to us. And we want to, we have a right, I would say, to know about the people who are making decisions for us. Well, Dr. Zeke Emanuel, final word to you in the last 20 seconds that we have about what you're watching in terms of the course of the president's illness. How is he doing? He's not out of the woods. Yeah, I don't think he's out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. It would be good to know uh, a full res a full picture of how well he's doing in terms of oxygenation, uh, energy level, uh, fever, what other medications he's on, um, and his uh, pulmonary function tests, you know, and, and a chest CT, which presumably they did a follow-up on after they gave him the dexamethasone. Zeke Emanuel of the University of Pennsylvania, Jessica Levinson of Loyola Law School. Her new pet podcast is Passing Judgment. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Stay with us for more Forum. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How?! You'll left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.